Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. Today, the book of Acts, chapter number 12, verse number one says this. It's about that time King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. Verse number five. So Peter was kept in prison, but... And we know that's a really strong but right there. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's Wrist. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel said. Peter followed him out of the prison, and he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. How many of you guys, when you get up on a Monday morning, you're like, am I asleep, awake, am I dreaming? That's where he's at. He doesn't even know if he's awake or not. Uh, verse 10, they passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord sent his angel, and he rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the people had gathered praying. Don't you love that? He gets out, and the first thing he does is not leave town, try to find a way to get farther away from Herod. The first thing he does, the first thing in his mind is, I need to go to the people of God. I need to go to the people of God. I need to go to my church community. I need to go to those that are on mission with me. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and explained, Peter's at the door. How I many know Peter could get out of prison, but he couldn't get into a prayer meeting? <laughs> Come on. Goodness gracious. You're out of your mind, they told her. She kept insisting that it was so, and they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. He's so persistent. He's going to get into the prayer meeting. And when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then they left for another place. It's actually the last place we see Peter mentioned. He's involved in Acts chapter 15 in Jerusalem just as someone that's there, but we know nothing, he's not recorded anywhere else in Acts of his ministry, what he does, anything else. It's almost like he didn't die there from Herod, but what we know about him, that was it. It's just nothing else is known about where Peter went. Verse 18, in the morning there was no small commotion amongst the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered they be executed. And that day, if you were a guard and you let your prisoner go, uh, you got the sentence that they were going to get. So Peter was going to die, and so because they let him go, they were executed. Today I want to talk about a praying church. A praying church. 
And we say a prayer, if you've been here any amount of time, you know we say a prayer together before we look at God's word every single week. And I don't just wanna do that out of routine or ritual. I w- we do it for a reason, and that is because when God's word is presented, uh, that it has the ability to shape and change our lives. And so we wanna posture our hearts to not just hear a word, but to receive a word. And so would you pray this out loud with me together, church? Say, dear God, today, do what no man can do. Open my eyes, open my heart that I may receive your word, believe your word, and obey your word. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is a, this is a very uh, intense story, a very intense um, passage of scripture that we see here with Peter. And I want to try to give some context to the full situation that he's in. He has been arrested, and he's under the care and the watch of Herod, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Now, Herod comes from a line of rulers and leaders and authorities, not only from a line of authorities, but also a line of murderers, okay? Herod's grandfather, we've got it on the screen here, Herod's grandfather was Herod the Great, and he was the one that ordered all of the killing of the children in Bethlehem, the time when Christ was born. So his grandfather uh, was the one orchestrating and leading and um, giving the green light for the murder of children in Bethlehem. His uncle was the one that killed John the Baptist. He was the one that had him detained. He was the one that ordered his beheading and presented his head. Okay, so this guy's grandfather, this guy's uncle, he, he's not just from a line of authorities. He's from a line of killers. Specifically, Herod Agrippa here that we see that has Peter, um, he's also participated in the tradition of the family. He has killed James. Now, this is the first disciple recorded that was martyred for the gospel. This was the first one of Jesus's 12 that's recorded being martyred is James. James was um, taken prisoner by Herod and he was killed by the sword by Herod. And for Herod, this was strictly a political move, okay? So Herod, because of his lineage and history, the Jewish people didn't look at him favorably, okay? They didn't look at him with great favor. And a lot of the Jewish people also that hadn't believed the gospel yet and turned to Christ, they also didn't like what the disciples were doing because they felt like the disciples were raising a, a chaotic uh, scene and, the, and they were just unleashed and they couldn't control it and they didn't know what God was doing. And so a lot of the Jewish people also didn't like the disciples and the apostles and the preaching of the gospel and so on. So Herod, in an attempt to win some political favor with the Jews, gets James kills James, and because of that, he gets some political credibility with the Jewish people. It was a good political move. Now, so he's persecuting the church not for faith-based reasons like Saul was, because remember, Saul was persecuting the church because of a religious conviction he had before God saved him. Herod's persecuting the church for political reasons, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to help him, it's going to win him favor with people. So he, he kills James, and again, James is a, a figure in the church. He would have been someone that was known. This would have been a high-value target for him. And so then he arrests Peter. 
Now, Peter also, as you know, Peter would be a high-value target. Peter was very vocal. He was the one preaching at Pentecost. He was the one healing people. He was very loud and proud and in charge. He would have been one of the vocal upfront leaders of this early church movement. And so for Herod to get Peter in his custody would have been a, a valued possession for him to use for his political purposes. And so he intends fully to kill Peter. Now, he hasn't done it yet because it's the Passover festival. So thousands upon thousands of people would have came into Jerusalem. They would have came into the holy city, and they would have been focused on celebrating Passover together. And so it would not make sense for him to do this during Passover, one, because of the crowds, and it could have gotten out of control. But also, for their faith reasons, he didn't want to do something that would take away from their focus of the festival. And so strategically thinking, Herod is waiting until the festival ends... And then he's going to bring Peter forth, and he's going to have him killed to make his political move, okay? And so uh, we, we, we know he cares a lot about keeping Peter in custody because he has 16 men charged with detaining him. Four squads of four men so that they could rotate around the clock so that nobody was tired, nobody was running low on fuel and energy, uh, that everybody could give full dedicated attention to watching him. So four groups of four men around the clock, two of them which are chained to Peter at all times. So how many know he ain't going anywhere, anywhere fast, with two people chained to him? And in addition to that, the other two that are on each group were at the door. Double chains, double guards at the door. So no doubt here, Peter's life is getting ready to end. His life is getting ready to end. But I love the peace that Peter has knowing his life is about to end. Uh, the scriptures describe when the angel comes and wakes him up in the cell that it's not a like, hey, Peter, Peter, wake up. When it, says, when it says the angel nudged him and told him to get up, it is describing a violent blow to his core. It's one of those like, come on, parents, you're getting your kids up. Come on! It is, it is, it is boom. It is rattling, shaking. Like It's describing him having to wake Peter up like that because he is in such a sleep. Like he is sleeping hard. He is sleeping with such a peace. I think about what Peter says later in his life recording in 1 Peter 3. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ear are attentive to their prayer. Peter, how do you sleep in a cell chained to two guards knowing death awaits? Well, Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ear is attentive to my prayer. Think about Psalm 4 where the psalmist says, In peace I lie down and sleep because you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Come on. Outer chaos, outer persecution, but inner peace. The psalmist said, You alone, Lord, give me rest at night. I lay in sleep because you watch over me. So, so Peter is full of faith. He's, he's full of peace even while he's being persecuted. But again, knowing full well, the situation looks like, hey, this is about it for me. This is about it for me. The festival will end, Passover will pass, and I will be put to death for the sake of the gospel. The church, knowing this full well, prays earnestly. The church prays earnestly. And I have some observations I wanna look at today to challenge us in our walk from this story. The first one is this. God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. Forgive me for my simplicity this morning, but I want to remind you, in case you've forgotten or in case it's got put on the back burner of your spirit, that our God responds to the prayers of his people. 
God responds to prayer. God's people are people of prayer. When all other doors are closed in our life, the door of prayer is always open. When all other channels have been shut down, the channel of prayer is always open. God hears and responds to the prayers of his people. Thomas Watson said it like this. He said, an angel fetched Peter from prison, but it was prayers that fetched the angel. It is the prayers of God's people that activated and unleashed the power and the presence of God to move in this situation. Why? Because God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. Prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer moves the heart of God's people. Prayer activates the power of God in such a way that it would not be had we not prayed. God responds to prayer, and God's people are to be a praying people. In fact, if God's people are not a praying people, really, what are we? (laughs) What are we? If we're not a praying people, what are we? To, To be a people that attempt to follow God and worship God without prayer, without being a praying people, we're, we're a fish with no water, we're lungs with no oxygen, we're an athlete with no game to play, we're a chef with no stove, come on, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going. We're, we're a runner with no shoes, we're a NASCAR driver with no car, I'm a singer with no voice, a musician without an instrument, I'm a pilot with no plane, I'm a teacher with no curriculum, I'm a water slide with no water, a roller coaster with no tracks, I'm a car with no wheels, I'm a branch with no vine, I'm a power cord without an outlet, I'm a microphone without a sound system, and I'm Chick-fil-A with no chicken. <laughs> it's like, what are we? What are we? Wait, prayer Prayer is, is the oxygen we breathe. It is who we must be. It is our greatest calling. It is our greatest work. The heart of God, the hand of God, the ear of God is tuned into the prayers of God's people. God responds to prayer. Peter was locked up. James had been killed. There were 16 men. There were double chains. But the church prayed earnestly. The church prayed earnestly. Why? Because they knew God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. I saw a picture this week, as we've kind of mentioned the last few weeks about the outpouring at Asbury University and all that God has has done there the last few weeks, and I saw a picture of that same chapel, and you know, if you've seen the pictures of the outpouring, you've seen the chapel packed and all the lines and all the people worshiping, I saw a picture of that chapel empty with one person at the altar and three people sitting in the seats, and it was a picture of the staff at Asbury for the last few decades. There's a staff there that experienced the outpouring in the 70s that since the 70s has been praying by themselves in the chapel, God, pour out your spirit. And and decades of prayer, now they're seeing it answered. Why? Because God responds to his people. God responds to prayer. Responds to the prayer of his people. How, How did the early church pray? What kind of prayers does God respond to? There's a few ways we see them praying here that are important for us. The first thing we see that God responds to prayer that's passionate. God responds to prayer that's passionate. In verse five, when it says, Peter's kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. That word earnest creates, in the original language, it creates two pictures with words. It creates two pictures with words. They, were, they weren't just praying, they were earnestly praying. So what does that mean? The word earnest, the first picture it creates in the original language is this, to stretch out for something as much as you can. 
So think like you're at the stoplight, you know, and you're trying to stay buckled in, but you got that water bottle that fell down on the passenger side on the floorboard. So you're reaching, trying to get it and trying to get it. And what, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're stretching out, you're reaching with everything you've got to try to get something. This word earnest is creating this picture of a stretching, of a longing, of a, of a desire, of a passion towards what they're asking God for, what they're praying God for. This is not simply a prayer with their head. It's a prayer with their heart. This is not just words that they're saying. This is passion overflowing from their desires in prayer. It's a similar word used actually in Luke 22 when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he's in the garden earnestly praying. The scripture says he's sweating drops of blood. He says, Father, if there's any other way, may this cup pass from me. He knows what lies before him. He knows, and he's praying a prayer of earnesty, of passion, of longing, of desire. Come on, it's not just, it's not just a dear Lord, this is nice, amen. It is a desire, a passionate desire. And I have to think if we see God accurately and if, and if we're seeing Jesus clearly, this is how we have to pray with passion. Like if, if God were to be so gracious to just unzip the veil between us and all of his beauty and eternity in heaven, and if we could just get a peek into the veil of God's amazing glory and his goodness, I just have to think we wouldn't respond with, oh, dear Lord, that's amazing. Lord. <laughs> like I just think we would respond with, with a passion, with the longing, with the desire, with the awe, with the reverence. And so the church is not praying just with their head. They're praying with their heart praying with everything they've got. They are stretching and longing. When I say passion here, I don't just mean volume. <laughs> Sometimes we think in the church like more volume just means more passion, you know, like just be more passionate and say it louder. Now, that can come out. Passion can mean more volume or more emotion, but I'm not just talking about volume here. I'm talking about the heart. I'm talking about a longing in your heart, a, a crying out to God to see him move in and through our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time you were moved to prayer? Moved to prayer. Like, when was the last time you prayed out of the overflow, the spilling of your heart? When was the last time you didn't just pray with your words, you prayed with your tears? When was the last time you, you prayed passionately? God responds to passionate prayer. This church is earnestly praying. The second way they prayed is this. God responds to prayer that's persistent. The second picture that the word earnest creates is, is this idea of constantly, consistent. So how were they praying? They were praying passionately, but it was also very consistent. They, it, it was, it's this idea of there's not a hard stop. There's not like a conclusion to it. It's a open-endedness. I'm continuing to pray. I'm continuing to go before God. I'm continuing to spill out of my heart what I believe to be heaven's will in my life and through my life. It's a consistency in prayer. Prayer in our life has to be something that doesn't get finished or concluded. It's gotta just be the way we live. It's gotta be the way we live. I think some of us, so many times, we give up on our prayers way too quickly. But man, I pray God will give us the spirit that says, God, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not relenting until, until I see you move on my behalf. God, I'm going to keep knocking until the door is open. I'm going to keep calling until you answer. God, this is Jesus in Luke chapter 11 when he gives the story about a friend and going over to his friend's house at night asking for something. Keep knocking, keep knocking. He says, surely your friend, he doesn't want to get up in the middle of the night to get you what you need. But if you keep knocking and keep knocking because it's the middle of the night and he wants you to keep knocking, your friend will get up and get you what you need. Why? Because you're persisting in your pursuit persisting in asking, persisting in prayer. Psalm 40 verse one says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the saints. Notice the continual language here. Always continuing. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Come on, you can walk out of here with some scripture memorization today. Ready? Pray continually. You got that one ready? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Keep it going. It is ongoing. It is persistent. It is, I'm going to continue to ask. I'm going to continue to knock. I'm going to continue to call. God, I won't stop until I see you move on my behalf. God, I'm not content with seeing any less than your will and your way in my life. God, your will or no will. God, your power Power or nothing. As I think about the Old Testament. God, if, you, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. God, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to persist in prayer. So they're, they're praying passionately. They're praying constantly. And then we also see that God responds to prayer that's pale. I want you to let me explain this. Stay with me for just a second. Prayer that's pale. Or you could say prayer that's pitiful. Prayer that's pales in comparison to what you think it should be. Prayer that's fragile, weak, sprinkled with unbelief and doubt. Jesus talks about the kind of faith that you need to move mountains, and he says you need faith the size of a mustard seed. You need faith the size of a mustard seed. You, you, you don't always need Amazing, outrageous, strong, enormous, impressive faith to move mountains. Like, give me, give me a, a, a little bit of faith. Give me mustard seed. Can, can, a, a little bit of faith in the right direction is the ability to move mountains, Jesus says. And if you have a little bit of faith, I want you to know today God can work with that. I'm not even here today to be like, oh, you just have a little bit of faith. I want to pound on that and get your faith up. Today, I want to encourage you, if you just have a little bit of faith, God, that's okay. God can work with that. God can work with that. God can actually do great things with that because it's not the size of our faith that determines it. It's, it's, the, it's the one who we're having our faith in that determines the power. So a little, a little bit of faith, God can work with it. Because, man, if we're, if we're honest, just if you can honestly think with your, just amongst yourself this morning, Think when you're praying for something, you're believing God for something, on one hand, you pray and intellectually up here you know God can do anything. God, God can do anything. I, I can pray for anything, believe for anything. There is nothing I can't pray for and say, God, nothing is impossible for you. So that's true on one hand. And then on the other hand, we pray that same prayer I'm, I'm speaking to myself this morning, so I won't put this on you. This is just how I... In the name of being a realist or realistic, at the same time, I'm also like, yeah, but it probably won't do it like that. 
Or like, yeah, but I, I don't really, I haven't really seen that before. That's not, you know, like, yeah, God, yeah, good, yes, God. And then also be like, yeah, but, you know, it's, yeah, God. Right? Has anybody ever been there where you're like, I, you don't even, and in fact, this is, this is the story in Acts chapter 12. Look in verse 14. Peter gets out. He's trying to get into the prayer meeting. The servant recognizes his voice, was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and said, Peter's at the door. All right? <laughs> she, she apparently knew Peter before. She had had some interactions because she knew his voice. She goes to the door, confirmed. Peter, it's his voice. I know his voice. Runs back, so much excitement, forgets him. Runs back to report to the people praying for Peter. It's Peter. And how do they respond? No. They're, it could have, their prayer for Peter could have likely got interrupted by Peter. And what are they like? They're like, no, it's probably not him. And then, it's not just their initial reaction. They double down on their doubt. All right, look in verse 15, ready? <laughs> so they tell her, you're out of your mind. So they don't believe her, no. And then it says, when she kept insisting, so, so she, the servant girl believed it. She knew. It's Peter. I heard his voice. So they say, you're crazy. She pushes back. No, it's Peter. I insist. It's Peter. So she is so insistent that they actually believe her. They're like, yeah, she, she's so convinced that she's right. She did hear Peter. But they still don't believe it. In the Jewish custom, they believe that each person had a guardian angel, if you will. And sometimes if the person went away, they had an angel that looked like him. And so they were like, we actually believe you. You're really convincing. But there's no way God could have actually done that. So it was probably his angel. <laughs> While praying for Peter, they can't believe the answered prayer right in front of them. Twice, they're like, they're like, no, you're crazy. Oh, no, it's probably his angel. Like, they couldn't even believe that God would have responded to their prayer the way that he did. But look, notice, God still answered their prayer. Like, it's, it's easy to slam their faith and be like, how could you not believe? But it's like, they, that's probably mustard seed faith. It's probably like, God, we believe it and we really don't know and we probably can't believe it. But, but God responded to their prayer. And, and I'm trying to encourage you this morning, don't let the weakness of your faith hinder you from bringing it to God just because you feel like it's weak. Like, whatever it is, however weak and fragile and small it is, don't feel like you gotta strengthen it up and muster it up to then present it to God stronger. No, no, no. Bring whatever it is to God, however weak and doubtful and frail and small it is, because God can work with that. God can work with weak faith and pitiful prayers and unbelief and in our own doubts because God responds to the move of his people and the prayers of his people no matter how fragile they are. God responds to prayer. Anybody grateful for that today? Response to prayer. The next big theme that we see here, we see this is faith building and prayer and the power of God and the deliverance of God, but there's also another element to God here that this story forces you to wrestle with. And I wanna, wanna go through it a little bit this morning and fight with it a little bit because it's here. And it's the reality of this, it's God is sovereign. 
God is sovereign. And I say that because you may have noticed it as we read through. Here's the reality of the story. As encouraging and faith-building as it is, here's the reality. Ready? Peter got delivered. James got killed. Exact same scenario. James, James is preaching the gospel. James is serving the church. James is living for Christ. James, and what is James? He's arrested, killed. Peter, serving the church, preaching the gospel, living for Christ, arrested and delivered. And this text forces you to wrestle with the fact that James got killed and Peter got freed. And one might be almost forced to ask, why? Did James do something wrong? Was James' faith not as strong as Peter's? Was, did the church pray more for Peter than James? And I would say no to all that. I would say it brings in an element of God, a nature of God, and that is this, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. These things looked so different in the natural, but a lot of these things were actually the same. See, James didn't get free from Herod. Peter got free from Herod. James' body did not keep living. Peter's body kept living. James' earthly ministry stopped. Peter's earthly ministry continued. However, both of these were actually more similar than you think. James was set free eternally. Peter was set free naturally. James died physically, yet Peter had already died practically. How does a man awaiting death chained to two guys sleep with peace? Why? He's a dead man walking. Go ahead, Herod, kill me. Like Jesus said in the Gospels, don't fear those who can only take your physical body. Fear those who have the ability to cast your body into hell. Peter's like, hey, he, he's like Paul. Like, let me live, awesome. Kill me, awesome. Chain me up, awesome. Let me go, awesome. You can't, you can't touch me because Christ has won eternal victory for me eternally. So, so James, James had died naturally, but Peter's already like, I'm already dead. I'm a, I'm a dead man. So I'm going to sleep here with peace. I'm going to operate in peace. We see the, the, the concept of God's sovereignty. Here's what the word sovereign means. I try my best to put together a simple definition of something that maybe doesn't seem so simple. Sovereign is this, that all things come under the control and authority of God, and nothing can override him. All things come under the control and authority of God. Nothing can override him. See, in your life, you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that Peter got delivered and James didn't. And in your life and your story, this is going to be true in your life so much. If, if not, it, you'll, you'll have to face this very soon. If you've lived any amount of days, this is true. Why did this person get healed and this person didn't? Why did God provide this need and not that need? Why did God restore this broken situation and not this situation? Why did God open this door and not that door? Why did God make a way for them and not for them? Why did, why did, and I'm trying to say God is sovereign, meaning all things come under his control and his authority. Nothing that happened, nothing, there's no, nothing that can override the power and stretch and authority of God. God is sovereign. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, if God, God is too good to be unkind, he's too wise to be mistaken, and when I can't trace God's hand, I can trust God's heart. Man, what is that? It's trust in the sovereignty of God. Man, I don't, I don't know why James got killed and Peter didn't, but God is sovereign and God is in control. I don't know why Peter got to go and James didn't, but God is in control. And this idea that prayer is powerful and God responds to prayer and that God is sovereign 
these two things we looked at today, these force you to ask this question. If God is sovereign, why pray? (laughs) If God's in control of all things, if God rules all things, if God is over all things, if nothing can override God, if God God cannot be trumped or overridden by anything else out there, if that's true, why would I pray? Because if God's going to do what God's going to do and God's going to have his way, then why pray? And here's how I respond to that. I would say God's sovereignty does not strip us of our responsibility. God's sovereignty does not strip us of our responsibility. I know these things can seem contradictory, but I'm trying to tell you today, the scriptures fully teach the prayer and the desire and the passion and the discipline of God's people pursuing him. And while they do, the fact that God is sovereign. The fact that God is sovereign. So I pray, I trust God, I seek God, I call heaven, and I trust God with what comes. I live by faith and not by sight. I live by faith and not by sight, and I trust God with the path he has for me. I do my part. I seek God. I seek to be faithful with what he has entrusted me with, and I believe God to do what I cannot do. These two things, actually, we see the apostles themselves living this. I want you to go back with me eight chapters. Go to Acts chapter four really quick. Acts chapter four is the first time the church is persecuted. It's the first time where maybe if the disciples were under the illusion that this was all gonna be fun and easy and exciting and nothing but miracles and miracles and miracles, it was the first time in Acts chapter four where they realized, yeah, this ain't gonna all be easy. This is gonna come with the cost. Acts chapter four They face persecution. They're threatened with their lives. Don't speak of these things anymore. Leave here, but don't speak of these things anymore. Don't speak of these things anymore. And they pray in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Here's what their prayer is, okay? They're they're praying, seeking God. They're doing their job. They're faithful. They're seeking God. Here's their prayer. Ready? When they heard this, talking about the threats, they raised their voice together in prayer to God, and notice how they address God. Ready? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Now they could have prayed just Lord, they could have prayed Father, they could have prayed Holy Spirit, they could have prayed, they could have, they could have given God a bunch of different names in their prayer, but how do they pray on the brink of ministry, coming up against persecution, coming up against a future that's really unknown, coming up against some questions they don't have answers to, coming up against some things that are gonna be really unexpected and really challenging? Here's how they pray. Sovereign Lord. They're declaring from the gate, God, we're not backing down. God, we're gonna seek you. God, we're gonna pray. God, we're gonna witness. God, we're gonna build your church. God, we're gonna go to the ends of the earth. God, we're gonna declare your praises. But they're also praying, Lord, you're in control of all things. Lord, whatever may come, I trust you. Lord, I can't always trace your hand, but I trust your heart. Lord, I don't know the days ahead, but I know that you're over them all. Lord, I know there's powers and things that seem outside of my control, but I know they're under your control. And Lord, I know not what goes ahead, but I know that you've already gone ahead. And so sovereign Lord, I just want that to sink into your spirit today. I want that to sink into your heart and encourage you. I want you to seek God with some passion. I want you to pray persistently and fervently and bring what you have before God. And I also want you to do it with the posture that says, Lord, you're sovereign, you're in control. Think about in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting ready to be thrown into the furnace and they're given a chance to bow down one more time. They say, no, 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 no. 
God, God will surely rescue us from the fire. That's faith, prayer of faith. But then verse 18, Daniel chapter three, even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. What are they saying? Sovereign God is in control of this thing. We're gonna serve him and he's gonna be in control. Sovereign, sovereign Lord. God responds to our prayers. He responds to our prayers. And I wanna take a moment before we worship with one final song this morning. I wanna just take a moment and pray together as a church. If you'd stand to your feet with me all over the room. I've asked uh, Kyle and Vicky are gonna come pray with me. If you guys could come up here for a moment. We're gonna just spend a few moments in prayer. I've asked Kyle to pray for, for families in our church and this next generation. And I've asked Vicky to just pray for our church and the power of God in our church in this season, uh, that God would move mightily in our church. And here's, here's what we're doing. We're not, we're not just checking a box to just pray because we're at church. Here's what we're doing. We're praying, believing God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. And so we'll pray for these needs from the platform here for these next few moments, but I want you to pray. I want you to take your burdens, take your needs before God this morning. Knowing God responds to prayer. God hears our prayers. So let's partner together with the spirit of faith today and pray and go before heaven and ask God to, to move in behalf of our church and our lives. Amen? Kyle, lead us. Let's pray together. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for, God, the families were your idea, Jesus, that they would be for the display of your glory. Jesus, we, we just lift up all the families in our church. God, I, I even thank you, Lord, this morning. Your word says that you set the lonely in families. God, I pray that Oasis would be a place where people can find family. God, those who, who didn't have the father, mother, can find that in this house, Jesus. We, we just pray for, 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 for fathers to be strong, God, for mothers to be strong, for families to be strong. God, we, we ask that you would bless, God, the work of their hands as they raise children up in the name of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of, of the church. God, we, we pray that you would empower them, God, with a, with a grace beyond all measure. God, empower families, God, to live for Christ. God, to honor you with their finances, to trust you when, when, when they get bad news. God, to, to declare that you are sovereign over their lives, Jesus. God, we, we, we pray for, for that it would be for the display of your glory, God, that the families would live for you, Jesus. God, we also just pray for the next generation, Jesus. God, we pray for, 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 for those who are hungry for truth, God, hungry for real things, God, hungry for your word. God, we, we pray that, that, that this next generation, God, will be hungry for the things of God. They will be hungry for, for, for what's in spirit and in truth, Jesus. God, I pray they would not be deceived by the, the world, God, not be deceived by the tricks of the enemy. God, I pray that they would trust, God, I pray that they would cling so tightly, God, to, to the word of truth. God, I pray they would, they would be cling, God, and be, be fitted with the armor of God, God, upon their lives. God, they'd be fit with the, the breastplate of righteous, God, the, the, God the, 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 the shield of faith, God, the sword of the spear, God, the helmet of salvation. God, their feet would be fit with the readiness and the peace of the gospel. God, I pray you would, God, empower them to live for Christ. God, I pray they would grow up, God, in, in, in the ways of the Lord. God, being able to, to, to look back on the testimony you have given to them, Jesus. God, so we just pray that they would find purpose. God, they would, find, they would be passionate for the things of God. I pray they would, they would have a, a, an identity that's found in you, Jesus, not in, in what their peers may think or what the world says you have to look like. God, I pray that final and full identity will be found in you, Jesus. 
And God, we just pray these things knowing you could do more than we could ever ask. God, think or imagine. God, we say for your glory, God, would you do these things in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Father, we just come to you wholehearted today, Lord God. Father God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for what you have already birthed into existence, Lord God. Lord God, you said you would add to the church daily, Lord God, those that just to come, Father God. So, Father God, we thank you that the doors has already been preserved. You have opened the doors, Lord God. We thank you for the hedge of protection that you have already put upon this church, Lord God. We thank you that you call the people from the north, the south, the east, the west, Lord God. You call them from the broken promises, Lord God. You call them from the wayways, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, as you continue to grow us, Lord God, that you will hold us in your loving arm, Lord God, that you will teach us, Lord God, that you allow that agape love to pour on us, Lord God, that we learn and we sit up under your presence, Father God. Father God, we thank you for what you have already done and what you continue to do, Lord God. We thank you for the pastors that you already birthed in this church, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that no weapon formed against them will prosper, Lord God that everything that was try to come against them in judgment, you yourself said you should condemn, Lord God. Father God, you have said, great is he that's in them that need us in the world, Lord God, that they would fear no evil for that are not with them, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord God, for what you continue to do and what you're going to do in this facility, Lord God. We thank you that all hearts and minds and ears would be open, Lord God to hear, Lord God, what thus says the Lord, Lord God, as your sovereignty, Lord God, outpours, Lord God. We glorify you, we magnify your name for that today, Father. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we pray. Lord, we pray for today anyone that feels like their faith is small and weak and fragile. They feel like they don't have much to go off of or to give you today, Lord. I pray that, Lord, like you told Gideon, to go in the strength you have. Lord, I pray today that you would give those just the spirit of encouragement, those that feel downcast. Lord, your word says in Psalm 3 that you're the lifter of our head, you're the shield around us. Lord, I pray you would lift the head of the downcast today. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those that are discouraged. Lord, I pray that our little faith today would be pleasing to you, oh God. I pray that the, the faith the size of a mustard seed today would move mountains in our life, Lord, not as a testament of our faith, but God, as a testament of your great power and your goodness and your grace towards your children. And so, Lord, I pray for those today that feel that that's them. And Lord, I ask today that leave this place full of greater faith today. Lord, full of faith, God, in, in the fact that you respond to them, God, and that you see them and that, that their, their small faith is pleasing to you, God, and that, Lord, that you've purchased for them on Calvary, Lord, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, God, all that they could need, Lord, I pray they would see today they have in you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.